support for Recovery Talks, the podcast, and rockandrecovery.com, provided by Ohio Means Jobs, Summit, and Medina Counties. Recognizing that looking for a job can be tough, especially if you're also navigating a path to recovery. Ohio Means Jobs, Summit, and Medina County offers free career coaching, support services, and training for in-demand careers. For more information, summitmedinaomj.org. On April 23, 2019, at 8.05 a.m., Jennifer Bartolotta's world shattered into a million tiny shards with the sudden death of her husband, business partner, and best friend. She found her way to certification as a train-the-trainer in trauma-informed care and has spent the past few years healing while distilling dense neuroscience tenants into a relatable, digestible, and deployable program that almost anyone could benefit from. And now we get to benefit from it. That's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery. This is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks right now. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Recovery Talks, the podcast. I'm here today with Jennifer Bartolotta uh, from Bartolotta and Associates, and I am so pleased to have you here on this podcast. I'm so looking forward to it. Thank you for coming. You're welcome, as am I. Good. So um, we know each other through a mutual friend, and uh, she knows that my intention is with this podcast is to um, create an avenue and a platform for people who may be in and around recovery. And what I mean by recovery is uh, substance use disorder and or mental health issues. And so this podcast generally is for people that may be not sure if they have a problem, uh, maybe might think they have a problem, um, maybe getting ready to do something about it, maybe already are there doing something about it, or maybe need to try again doing something about it. So today, I think we're going to talk a little bit about trauma. If we could, if you wouldn't mind sharing with me a little bit about, you know, what your experiences were and how we come to know each other. I know we've had one one conversation where you shared a great deal with me. It was actually very emotional. And I it left me for several days after that conversation, feeling a very strong impression of what you had been through and what you are going through now and what you're doing with it, which I feel is gets you a great big bravo. So Jennifer, tell us your story. Well, thank you, first of all. So my story, in 2000, I met a guy who kind of took my breath away and we fell in love and I was living in Chicago at the time and I ended up moving to Milwaukee. And for the next 18-ish years, we did everything together. Uh, He owned at the time a small restaurant company. And over our time together, we built that to be a 17-unit a thousand employee, kind of a beast of a organization to run. He was a juvenile diabetic. And a lot of the things that happened to juvenile diabetics, he suffered. So uh, he had kidney disease. He had um, some neuropathy. He had multiple eye surgeries. And he came to a point where he had to do something about the kidney thing. So he ended up needing a kidney transplant. My little brother was his living donor and Joe was plugging along well. And all of a sudden on uh, April 23rd of 2019, 
at exactly 8.05 in the morning, I found him ice cold in bed. My world shattered, quite literally. I, I did uh, a bunch of art therapy on my own, and I actually painted a picture of what I felt like in that moment. I felt like anything that was foundational about me had shattered into a million little pieces that were just right above my head and outside of my reach. And I felt um, very much like a, a blob with uh, no purpose, no meaning, no direction. So he was a very big personality and everyone knew him in Milwaukee so much so that his uh, celebration of life had to be held at a local theater and 2,400 people showed up that morning to celebrate Joe and the impact that he had had on their lives. And so we moved from that through couple of other transitions. And part of those transitions was the transition of the company. And less than a year later, about 10 months later, I had to transition my shares to um, my husband's brother. And with that came the loss of my outward identity. So for me, it was very much like another loss. I, I had been incredibly connected to the company um, and its employees I was the face of the company locally um, as it related to the philanthropy that we did, which was significant. And all those things went with those shares. So that was another really traumatic moment for me. And then three weeks later, COVID hit Milwaukee and Milwaukee shut down. And um, my brother-in-law was offering curbside pickup at the restaurants in an effort to keep people employed and to stay in business. And I went online one night and to grab a screenshot, I wanted to promote the fact that he was offering this curbside check-in, check, you know, pickup at the restaurants on my social media channels. And I found when I went to go grab that screenshot that he had closed the company and furloughed 950 of what had been ultimately my family members. And unless you work in a restaurant, it's kind of hard to understand that concept. Um, but restaurants attract a really diverse group of people. And there's a, a magic that happens in working in a restaurant that all these people that come from these very divergent lives and from these very divergent paths come together for a shift and make magic happen. You have the ability to close out everything else and the focus is on the guest, the guest experience. And so when you're in the trenches with people like that for 20 years, they're not employees, they're your family. This was a unilateral decision that he made that you had no ability to transform or be involved in. So therefore you felt completely disempowered by this. I did. And that was like another death for me. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to no fault of his own, he wasn't really that connected to the employees nor the company nor the city really yet. And that was just like my heart had been ripped open from Joe and then the lot, you know, transition of my shares. And then in came the salt that was the closing of the company without knowing about it even. Mm. And I, I would guess that the clinical term was I was so dysregulated, unregulated. I would call myself enraged, uh, which was an emotion I had never felt before. It was a, it was a, a set of feelings that never had existed in my physical form ever before. At the time, I had uh, some family that had moved in with me because of COVID, and we just decided to kind of create our own little bubble. Uh, I had my brother-in-law who donated the kidney to Joe, his wife, two littles under the age of two, and my niece who was 21 
was going to a local college, Marquette, and decided to stay with me as opposed to going to Florida, uh, making the trek back to her family. So I went downstairs and uh, part of healing is taking yourself back to that moment in time and assessing what's real about it and what's the narrative that we tell ourselves about that moment in time. And when I do that, uh, probably the most painful thing for me about that whole year long journey at this point was the impact that I had on those around me. And when I put myself back in that space and I can see their faces, that's what hurts me the most, that I I caused them pain because of my lack of awareness, my lack of awareness of my own trauma, the fact that I hadn't dealt with it, and my very dysregulated state, which uh, I think was very scary to them because I'm a pretty peaceful person. Right. I can tell you right now that as a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorder, the one thing that I will never get over is the harm that I perceived that I caused to my family members, especially my children. And it's it's a process of continual forgiveness that I have to revisit almost daily with myself to be able to say, you know, you did that, but you're not doing it anymore. Please continue. I don't know what made me go back up to my bedroom, but I think I decided it wasn't a good idea to stay in that environment and that I needed to lock myself into a room before I did more damage to them. Not physical damage, but just holy crap, I don't even recognize this person in front of me right now, damage. So I went back upstairs and I I fell asleep at some point and I woke equally enraged and dysregulated. So I said to myself, well, maybe if you go out to the garden and you pull some weeds and blow off some steam and get it ready to do some spring planting, maybe just being outside will help you. And I had hurt my back about three years prior I herniated uh, three discs in my low lumbar. And I know when I go to garden that I should grab a belt and put it around my back. But I was so dysregulated that I was just on a mission and plowing through life at that moment, completely disembodied. And I went out to the garden and I was about five dead kale stalks into pulling old rubbish from my garden and a white light flashed in front of my eyes. And I knew that I had hurt my back worse that time than I had the first time. And I have a very poignant reminder of what happens to us when we lack awareness and the ability to regulate. And that is that the bottom of my left foot is still numb two years later. I decided in that moment that I needed help and I needed to start dealing with the trauma I had been through, which was significant by that point. So I sought talk therapy and... My husband was a very uh, large physical presence as well as large, uh, just spiritual, emotional, soulful presence. And if you met him, you felt like he was your best friend, despite the fact that he put that show on for everybody, right? Um, but he did have a way of connecting with people that was very real and and felt and held. So I went to talk therapy, but they just wanted to tell me their stories about my husband. And I was so broken at the time that I literally didn't have the ability to use my voice and say, hey, I am i don't want to hear you, Joe's stories. I'm broken. I need you to help me fix myself and put myself back together. So I found my way to a local organization by the name of St. A, who was at the forefront about 15 years ago of working with a doctor by the name of Dr. Bruce Perry and developing curriculum that is now called trauma-informed care. And I sought a certification in their Train the Trainer program and successfully completed that session 
but I felt a little disingenuous. Out of 12 people in my class, I was the only non-clinician, non-PhD. And so I thought, even though they've certified me to go do this work, I don't have the foundational basis that everybody else in this work does. So I started to think about how I could use the skills that I have and distill the information down so that as opposed to it living in highly academic fields or in highly clinical fields, that I work to make it accessible for the common person sure. that doesn't have a basis in neurology yep. and um, the study of the brain. Right. So today what I do is I uh, have a, a program that is intended to connect people um, first to themselves and to have them understand the impact that our emotions have on our physiology and the impact that our dysregulation has on those around us, and then what to do about it. And once we're connected to ourselves, I believe it's only then that we can truly be connected to other people. When we don't have truth and transparency in our behavior, it's almost impossible to have trust in our relationships. And so the first person we need to trust is ourselves. And once we trust ourselves, then we can enter into relationships where we can offer what we have to someone else and develop trust through truth in those relationships. You know what, let's take a second and just talk a little bit about what trauma is. Okay, so I, I you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of using the the governmental websites, the substance, and, and I go, went on the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, because that's a resource I use continually for my own years and to try and figure out my own messed upness in the world. You know, what? what? How about we call you? Whoa, how about we whoa. call it your uniqueness? That's it. You know, hey, listen. Part I, of it's changing the language. Part of part of my my mission as a peer recovery supporter is to share myself in maybe self-effacing ways, but I use humor and I like to just say, you know, we're all, it's like the Dalai Lama will say, we're all the same human being, right? We're all the same one. You know what I mean? All as a, a friend of mine in a 12-step program says to me, we're all perfectly flawed human beings, buddy. You know what I mean? But when they define trauma, the language that they use is that trauma can affect people of every race, ethnicity, age, sexual orientation, gender, psychosocial background and geographic region. A traumatic experience can be a single event, a series of events, and or a chronic condition, for instance, a childhood neglect, domestic violence. Traumas can affect individuals, families, groups, communities, specific cultures, and generations. I would imagine that's probably some of what we're all going to experience coming out of COVID, right? I, I think we will. It generally overwhelms an individual or community's resources to cope, and it often ignites the fight, flight, or freeze reaction at the time of the event. It frequently produces a sense of fear, vulnerability, and helplessness. And on a personal level, speaking to you after we were done with our, our first talk, really reflected back onto some of my own personal experiences. Again, I self-identify as a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorder and never really identified some of the reasons that I went through life feeling a bit off, right? And so when I found a tribe of people that were gathered around music and maybe, you know, using substances, I finally felt 
a group of people that were just like me. It was really the only outlet that I had to find a tribe. And so what I see your work is doing is you're you're really able to help people identify some of the things that they've been through and to really put a name on it and to, you know, encourage them that, okay, now that you can self-identify that this is part of your experience, calling it out is the first step in the movement towards feeling maybe a, a better sense of wellness or maybe having a, a better sense of a self-directed life, which I think is where we all get to when we start feeling more well, right? We can direct ourselves well. And this is what I was struck with with your story. So, you know, I'd like to take a quick break here and to go to a sponsor, but then come back and talk a little bit more about your experiences after you went through your certification and your training and how that got started. So let's take a break. The internet can be challenging to navigate, especially when it comes to podcasts. It can be a cacophony of noise, choices, and information. Some of that information can be legitimate and trustworthy, and some of it can be questionable or even downright synthetic. Who or what can be trusted? And the sheer amount of platforms, where in the world do I go to listen and to absorb information? For the person in recovery, sometimes getting the right advice or help can be the difference between shivering in darkness and stepping out into the light. Recoverytalks.org is a repository, an easy-to-find place where past episodes of Recovery Talks, the podcast, can be found. All of Mark's in-depth conversations, all the way back to season one, can be found here. Recoverytalks.org. Simple. Easy. Help. Okay, we're back. And, you know, we've been talking with Jennifer Bartolotta, uh, Bartolotta and Associates, and she's sharing her stories um, with us. You talked a little bit before the break about, you know, getting certified and going through your experience of, you know, working with a lot of clinical professionals. And I, and I relate to that because I work in a community of people as a peer recovery supporter in the state of Ohio with a lot of people that have a lot of letters after their names, right? Uh, and so sometimes I feel like, you know, do I really, am I in this band or not? Can I, can I hang with these cats? Can I play with these cats? And then I'm often reminded, you know, it's the ability to self-identify as a person that's come through this process and this experience and to relate to people on that level, that human level that, listen, I've been through it, which really comes down from the books and the texts into a much different human experience. So I think for, for both of us, I think it's a good reminder that we, you know, it's, it's really getting down. Like well, I had a great chemical dependency counselor and she used to say, Mr. Shane, you got to get down with the people, you know? And she was so right. She was so right. That's where the real work gets done. So tell me a little bit about what your company does and how it works and how you are in the mission of helping people. Sure. I want to go back to the definition of trauma just for a second. Great. So that that definition is great. It's missing one piece. And the piece that it's missing is trauma is not unusual. What's unusual is not having somebody to help us move through it. And they call it the grandmother syndrome. So it doesn't have to be a grandmother. But if you think of childhood trauma, typically we all have a grandmother who 
dotes on us and thinks that we, you know, walk on cloud nine and we're the best things in sliced bread who can hold us with trauma and help us work through that. Trauma that is difficult is trauma that's unresolved, trauma that we didn't either have the resources or know to grab them to move with it. There's little t, daily traumas, you know, things that life throws you lemons and curveballs and might bring up a past event that's a trigger for you. And then there's the real big T stuff, right? The, the, the things that you and I are talking about today. So when you talk about doing your peer work and you're with people who are highly credentialed, what matters with trauma is someone who is going to hold space for you and be with you. And yes, the letters matter, of course. Um, and with all due respect to the profession, but a lot of us just need someone to hold space. To not try to fix it. I love that phrase. I love that phrase so much, Jennifer, holding space. And I, 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 I try to use it as much as possible. And maybe you can just help our listeners understand what you mean by that phrase a little bit more when you say holding space with someone. So holding space comes from a, a, a practice of a uh, and intention. I have an intention to spend this time with you And I'm going to show up to the best of my ability. I'm human to the best of my ability. And I am going to focus entirely on you. And I am going to simply listen. I'm not here to fix. You know, often when I begin conversations with people, I say, what what do you need? Because if you just need me to be here and listen, I can do that really well. And we can, when you're done talking, we can figure out where we want to go next. Or if you want me to be listening with the intention of being able to respond to you, to offer suggestions to you, then I listen differently, right? If my job and my way of helping is to just fully be present for you, then that's what I do. I'm not doing it with any intent to do anything to see that you can't make eye contact with me, have no judgment about that, right? Like I'm, I'm not here to judge. I'm, I'm a vessel to receive the gift that you want to give me, which is unpacking whatever it is you need to unpack. And I'm going to hold that while we're together, but then I'm going to let it go. You know, you're talking about some really incredible skills I know that you have a background working in the corporate world. I have a background working in the corporate world. And the thing that comes to mind when you're talking about working and sharing your skills in that corporate world is, you know, sometimes these are considered soft skills. So when you go out to companies and you work with companies, how do you do that? I mean, how does that work for you? My personal biased belief is that everybody needs this training right now. Uh, particularly leaders. I think I, I think we will look back on this period of time called the Great Resignation, and we will say that the vast majority of people left because of their leader, because their leader was ill-equipped to receive human beings who are fragile, who are doing the best they can, but who are suffering from a mental wellness perspective. And we don't talk about it, right? And so this isn't 
uh, an indictment of leadership. It is an acknowledgement that as a society, we don't do a great job on the mental wellness front. I have a friend who works for a very large bank and there's a mandate that they're going back to work in two weeks. And I, I'm sad for people right now because I think those types of mandates are going to create a bunch of stuff for people and are going to create a, another big wave of the great resignation. What I do is I'm landing with leaders who are more EQ, who have a higher emotional quotient anyway, who maybe aren't quite there from a mental wellness perspective, but certainly they are more in touch with their people than you'll do it because I said so type of a leader. And so I find myself in those types of environments. And then uh, where I feel the greatest need is right now is in healthcare. And so uh, I'm about to launch a partnership uh, with our largest healthcare institution in Milwaukee. We're going to be training the 35 leaders that manage 3,000 nurses at an institution called St. Luke's. Um, it's part of the Advocate Aurora system. And you know, this is a, a population of people who I think are more broken than I was when I started my recovery. And to be able to connect with them. So what we're going to do what I do is I use some somatics. So somatics is the body, understanding the body and how to use the body to get back into it. When we are um, suffering from PTSD, which if you know anything about healthcare right now, any leader in health is going to tell you that they're concerned about 100% of their employee base having PTSD as a result of having gone through the last two years of COVID. You know, when you're dealing with that type of trauma, being able to be aware that you are not connected to your body is the first step towards healing. And so uh, I will deploy some uh, tools for them where they can uh, get back into their body and then take them through my training. And so what we do is we explore our basic human physiology and the impact that our emotions have on it. Uh, we can prove from a neuroscience perspective that once our stress response once we are triggered, once we are emotional, essentially, our IQ can drop by up to 15%. But if you talk to people who are in psychotherapy, most psychotherapists that I've discussed this with, which is a small population, it's not quite an N of one, but it's not hundreds of them. But the ones that I have spoken to say, listen, once that's ignited, you're not thinking, right? Your emotional body has taken over your ability to process information logically. And so I, I help people understand what that looks like, what the freeze, flight, or fight looks like in our bodies. And the horrific things that is happening to our physiology that we are probably not aware of unless we know what our cues are. So, you know, releasing these hormones, these stress response hormones, is having a poison running around in our veins, right? These are not hormones that you want racing around in your body with any great regularity. So understanding that and then understanding the impact that our nonverbal behavior has, our incongruent, our confusing behavior has when we're in that state on those around us. Uh, it is really damaging to relationships at any level, particularly at work. I, I think that our friends and family are a little bit uh, more understanding, but it's still harming the relationship. When we show up in a way that isn't expected 
And we show up exhibiting behavior that is incongruent, confusing, clinically up to and including murder. We're harming the people in our lives. Because when two people come together, only two things can happen in the overlap. There's me and there's you and where we overlap, only two things are going to happen in that space, harm or healing. And by harm, I don't mean cutting. By healing, I don't mean putting a Band-Aid on it. Healing is I see you. I see you. I'm here for you. That's healing. When we feel seen, we all want to feel seen and heard and like we matter. So when we're together in this space and I see you, I'm, I'm healing you. I'm healing myself. When I show up dysregulated, I'm harming you and I'm harming myself. Excuse me, that was a very powerful statement there. I love that phrase, I see you. And I just wanna just take a breath on that one. Everyone, we're listening to Jennifer Bartolotta from Bartolotta Associates. Um, she has a company that customizes leadership and employee training to develop a workplace where employees can feel seen. And if we we're able to, how could our listeners get a hold of you? How would they reach you? Uh, you can do it on my website at Bartolotta and Associates. You can find me on LinkedIn and on Instagram. I have some more questions for you. Yeah, but they're not—they're not about the corporate world. Shoot, they're not about—they're not about what you what you do. Okay, out there in the world, they're about what you do in your world. And um, so, for me, you know, I I find that when I was beginning my my journey, the typical method for a lot of people in modern Western medicine was to calm my anxiety, calm my depression, slight depression with using uh, medication, which I'm not against. I'm not against. I'm not one of those guys that says, you know, you shouldn't do anything. I can't should on anybody. Okay. (laughs) But I can tell you that for me, what worked for me was exercising and socializing because those two things made me feel, A, they were able to download stress. They made me get out of my head where I'm often dead. Okay. And get out into the world. So I guess the question is, is, you know, what's your go-to? What's your get you through? A part of what you do, I will always be recovering from trauma. I have learned to accept that. I have learned to accept that out of the blue, with no warning, here it comes. And so I have learned to adopt uh, some practices as you do that are not negotiable for me. So one is sleep. Everything I do is rooted in neuroscience and all that information's out there. So everything that I do is rooted in the science. So first is sleep. My goal is to get eight hours, eyes closed, asleep every night. Uh, So I'm headed to bed about 8.30 every night. I fall asleep. I read until I fall asleep. And then my goal is, my hope is that I'm going to get that eight hours in. Uh, So that's the first thing. The second thing is I have a centering practice every morning um, that is also non-negotiable. I do creative things. So we know that if we allow our brain to the space to be creative, that that is a good thing that feeds our brain. So every day I draw a little picture from the day before, something that struck me from the day before that I want to remember. And it's just a little five by seven picture and I do it with colored pencils and I spend time doing that. Uh, I 
I do a meditative practice with a pendulum. I read both Eastern and Western theology, and then I do a little bit of journaling. Um, and then I meditate. Uh, then the next thing I do is I work out and I am engaged in aerobic activity uh, for at least a half an hour, seven days a week. Four days a week, that looks like riding a bike. Three days a week, that's walking collectively over those three days, somewhere between 15 and 20 miles a week with my dogs outside. Then what I put into my body is equally important. So uh, I was never a big drinker, but I've learned that you know depression is something that comes with trauma. And if I want to stay out of that space, I do have tools available to me to stay out of that space. If I end up there, so be it. But one of them is alcohol, right? So I'm, I'm acutely aware of alcohol consumption and I, I monitor it closely. Also, as I get older, I don't sleep as well. So there is that thing. It's like the double whammy for me. I am committed to being outside every day. There are many psychotherapists that will tell you that the sharpest tool that's in their box is telling their clients to get outside, but that's not always easy for everybody. And then the last thing that I aim to do is be in community with somebody every day for about a half an hour that uh, somebody I care about, somebody that provokes me in a, in a positive way, who makes me think, who makes me get outside of my world and think about a bigger world and expand into a different new place. And then at the end of the day, I recap it and I go back and look and go, all right, well, how are you feeling? It's the end of the day. And if I'm feeling off, then I go back and I look at the things I didn't do because inevitably when I'm off, it's because I didn't stick to my plan. I, I think we're probably sister and brother from a different mother, you know, because what our listeners can't see right now is we're both wearing very similar glasses. <laughs> we're both we wearing like mock turtleneck, black turtlenecks. You know, we might even actually do have to do some Instagram after this just to show people that just how weird that is. I'm just missing the cool so, cat. A little bit, I know, but but, but I have a, I have a, I have I'm follically challenged, so I get a little bit chilly up there if I don't have anything on my head. But I, I just want to thank you, thank you, thank you. For for, for taking this 30 to 35 minutes. I know we could go on and on and on for for hours talking this way. And I hope maybe in the future, maybe we can come back and do this again uh, with a different topic and a different place that will help our listeners really understand, again, a key point on what you said is that, you know, mental health disorders, mental health issues, MHI, substance use disorders, you know, those things happen to almost everybody. And there's no stigma. I have a friend who likes to say, you break your arm, everybody rushes to sign your cast. But when your heart is broken and your head's not working right, everybody runs away. And that's the stigma of mental health issues. And I think that's one thing that people like you are really, really, their mission is, is really out to to change the thinking. And I want to applaud you and give you a great big Markley Shannon Bravo for that because you're making a difference. And I don't know if anyone's told you that today, but I can feel it and I think you need to know it. So thank you for being here on my little podcast uh, for Recovery Talks. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Jennifer Bartolotta from uh, Jennifer Bartolotta and Associates. I strongly encourage you to, to look up her as a person and as the business that she does, um, because it's a game changer for me to come into contact with you. And I hope we can stay in touch. Thank you, Mark. You've been listening to Recovery Talks, the podcast. So um, please stay tuned. And if you would like to listen to some more episodes, which I'm always instructed to tell people, you can find us at recoverytalks.org. 
I was supposed to say that a bunch of times, but I didn't. But, you know, I guess we'll, we'll figure that out. And everyone, please, thank you for listening. And until the next time, stay connected, stay standing, and steady on. Thank you.